Well, hello, Parkview. Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, especially if you are online. Uh, welcome. We're so glad that you are here. I need to flip my binder around. There we go. Now it's the right way up. My name is Wade. I'm a pastor for college students, and we're going to continue worshiping Jesus as we open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 to 13. I think in your bulletin or online it says 1 to 22. Uh, there's more than enough in verses 1 to 13, and I was prayerfully reflecting on it. I just want to limit our time to just that section of verses. Some of you are newer to Christianity or you're just trying to explore if Christianity is true, and you might wonder, you know, why is it that we open our Bibles? Well, here at Parkview Church, we believe that the Bible is God's good and true word, and it tells us all about Jesus. And so since we're a church committed to following Jesus, that means we have to open our Bibles to understand who he is. That's why we open our Bibles every Sunday. And if I'm honest with you, and as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 10, now this passage is very challenging. It's a very difficult passage, not because it's hard to understand. I think actually the, the content is very easy to understand. The challenge comes with the reality that it's a warning passage. It's a warning passage that warns us about the danger of sin and idolatry and the reality of God's judgment against those who reject him and pursue a lifestyle of idolatry. It's very challenging for us, especially in our contemporary Western culture, for us to engage these type of passages. So at the very start, I just want to address two people that probably are either sitting here or you're watching at home. Now, person one, you're, you're again here, maybe you're not yet committed to following Jesus. You're just exploring things and you hear this thought of God condemning people because of their sin. And for you, it sounds like those dangerous religions that bring much harm to society. And I get that. I understand that. Uh, there's others of us here who might find that this passage lands on us as a major guilt and shame blanket, causing significant spiritual anxiety about our failure against the Lord, uh, wondering if he actually loves us. Do we truly love him? Well, I can assure you the Lord does love you because the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. And wherever you're at, either those maybe still pretty confused about this whole idea of God's judgment against sin, and others of you may be leaning more towards uh, feeling guilty, condemnation, anxiety about that, I hope you just stay tuned to what Jesus might teach you through this passage. And my hope for all of us is this. I hope we realize as we look at passages like these, especially passages like this that can be very challenging for us to hear, that when it comes to idolatry, and the danger of sin, like a good father or a good friend, our Lord, our Lord Jesus, is willing to warn us severely because he loves us so deeply. In Scripture, when we encounter warning passages, we have to realize that sin is so dangerous and Jesus loves us too much not to be honest with us. And so that's the type of passage we're going to look at. And so let's read this passage together. I'm going to read it aloud, and then we will all listen intently to God's word. So Parkview, hear now the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. 
Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. We must not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, exalt your Son, Jesus, from this text into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Convince all of us here that when it comes to fooling around with sin and idolatry, you do not play games, but you honestly and lovingly warn us about the severity of these things, and you do so because you love us so deeply, and you want freedom, and you want joy for us, and you want happiness, and you want peace, and you want flourishing for us, your people. Lord, for this to happen, this conviction and this realization, Lord, this must be a work of your Holy Spirit. And so please grant me the Spirit to make me a humble and faithful servant of your word and to these dear people that you love and that I love. Amen. Well, this past week, I was spending time outside with my son, Haddon, 15-month-old son, and I raised my voice out him at him, and I shouted at him really severely. I said, Haddon, no, no, no. From hearing this much about that moment, you may think I'm an angry father who's consistently harsh with my son. I don't think that's true. You could always talk with Claire. But if you saw with your eyes the context in which I was shouting at Haddon, you'd better understand my heart for him. You see, Haddon was about to cross into our busy street all by his 15-month-old self. So my shouting with a raised voice and a stern look was actually a warning given in love. A warning given to Haddon to save his life from certain destruction. Sometimes you must warn your children severely because you love them dearly. This is why 1 Corinthians 10, 1-13 is in the Bible. Because idolatry is real. And there is a spiritual danger with idolatry that all of us are being tempted toward in one way or another. And we have to be honest with the reality of sin and also its consequences. And the Lord Jesus does not play games with us, but puts 1 Corinthians 10, 1-13 in the Bible to shout out us, Sternly, in a sense, but lovingly, that we must not follow down the path 
of idolatry because it ends in judgment. Those you love dearly, you will warn severely if they are heading towards danger. Pastor Thomas, we love our Pastor Thomas and all the other preachers here. He wonderfully, so helpfully, gave us the context of the Corinthian church, what's going on, especially in terms of idolatry. I won't go into all the details, but what we need to know is, right, there's little idol worship everywhere in this culture. And what Thomas made, I think, is such a helpful point, is he made the point that idolatry is not a Corinthian problem, but a human problem. Yes, in Corinth, idolatry was explicit and physical, right? You actually saw, like, real idols that you'd make sacrifices to. And, but, but today, it's more implicit, and it's more a matter of the heart. And yes, so we don't go into literal temples of, you know, business idols and sacrifice the business god to help our next business venture, but we can't average 70 to 80 hours of work a week, and then our families suffer, and our kids are not loved, our spouses are not cared for. So no animal is killed at some idol, but surely a sacrifice is involved there. So idolatry is setting our hearts on something as ultimate, as fundamental to our happiness, apart from faith in Christ. And it is dangerous. It is extremely dangerous. And God condemns it wholesale. Idolatry is a spiritual cancer that, if left untreated, will kill you. Make no doubt about it. It will kill your spiritual life with the Lord. So to discern idolatry, there's a helpful quote from author Stephen Um. And he asks these questions to discern if there's a danger point in your life with idolatry. He says this, To get the idols of our hearts, you need to consider the way your desires shape your life. So what drives you, or me, to work or not work the way that we do? What causes us to eat and drink or not eat and drink the way that we do? What desires lie behind the way that we relate or do not relate to our spouse? or our friends? What do we dream, daydream about? What do you find yourself fantasizing about? What do you find yourself when you're alone in the privacy of your own thoughts? What do you consistently long for? What's the narrative? What's the story that kind of keeps replaying in your mind over and over again? What is it that if you only had this, or if you were only like this, you would be happy? Life would be meaningful. What are our desires pointing at. The reality is that we are all tempted towards idolatry. We must be honest with that fact. But here's the good news, Parkview. Jesus is faithful. He is faithful to give you warnings and a way out of idolatry. That's the main point I want you to walk away with. If you walk away with one thing, this is it. I want you to learn from 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 13, that Jesus is faithful to give you a warning in love and a way out of idolatry, warning in a way out. And so we must do two things, okay? Verses 1 to 12 calls us to heed the warning given to us, and then verse 13 calls us to follow the way out, okay? So verses 1 to 12, heed the warnings, and verse 13, follow the way out. Verse 1 to 12, heed the warning of spiritual danger. As I said before, uh, the Corinthian Christians are participating in a pagan feasts where food is being eaten in celebration of idols. There's idols everywhere, and the Corinthian Christians are in the same place where it's happening. If you look at me in verse 12, Paul then says to this church, as they participate in these feasts, he says, Therefore, let any one of you who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. 
Meaning, if anyone in this Corinthian church thinks he can kind of shoulder shrug the reality of idolatry and not face his condemnation and be a part of this, these pagan feasts where, where food is sacrificed to idols and think, eh, I'm kind of above that. That doesn't really affect me because I'm a Christian now. Paul's trying to say, actually, you participating in these things, you better watch out because there is danger ahead. Take heed of the warning, Paul says. And what, what's the warning? Well, verse 12 says, therefore. So what's it therefore? Well, verse 11. Look at verse 11. Let's we'll move up one verse. We'll kind of move upward. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And then verse 6, look up a couple more verses. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So kind of the main thrust of what Paul is doing in this passage is this. We are to heed the warning about the danger of idolatry by observing the idolatrous examples of God's ancient people, Israel. And by looking at these examples and seeing a clear pattern that emerges in these examples that Paul lists, we therefore hear God's word for us today, which is to flee from idolatry, to heed the warning of its danger, and to follow the way out of temptation toward idolatry. So let's do that now. Look down with me at verses 1 to 5 where Paul narrates the first example here. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, our fathers, you notice that? I didn't say the fathers, but our fathers. Paul makes spiritual connection between the Old Testament people and us. Our fathers, their history is our history. They were all under a cloud and all passed through the sea. Basically, in a few words, he's just narrating the Exodus event, right? God's people led out of slavery in Egypt through Moses. Which then it says in verse 2, And all these people were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Baptized meaning they kind of became under the leadership of Moses. And then verse 3 and 4, They all ate spiritual food, and they all drank spiritual drink. And mysteriously, and it's you know, kind of challenging to know exactly what's going on here, but you know, Jesus was present in verse 4, right? The rock was Christ. The rock that was providing this drink was Jesus, he was spiritually present. But, but amidst all kind of things that might be confusing, let's not miss the point. Verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, we don't have time to engage every aspect of this section. There might be some things that are confusing, but the overall pattern and point of the first five verses is very clear. By way of analogy in comparison, Paul describes how there were people who started well as God's people. They even enjoyed the spiritual privileges and blessings of being a part of God's people. I mean, did you notice the language? Verse 2, baptism. And then verse 3 and 4, they're eating a meal provided by the Lord. Baptism and a meal by the Lord. Baptism and Lord's Supper. They experience these things, these benefits, these blessings, and yet look what happens in verse 5. God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They were condemned. They were judged to death because of their idolatry. This Old Testament example shows how God's people spurned and forsook a faithful, loyal love to him and instead persisted in idolatry and unbelief and resistance to his loving rule over their lives. And verse 6 then says, we must take heed. This example is for the Corinthian church to listen to, and therefore it is for us, Parkview Church. Now let's continue. Paul basically kind of expands the history of Israel in the next couple verses, verses 7 to 10. In these verses, Paul gives four further examples 
of God's ancient people following idolatry. Verse 7, he says, do not be idolaters. And he quotes, right, they, they, they ate and drank and rose up and play. It's a, it's a quote from Exodus 32. You remember the, in Exodus 32, it tells the story of the, of the golden calf, right? Moses is up there on the mountain, taken forever. And they're like, oh, man, hey, let's make a god, okay? And they took all their golden earrings and shazam, all of a sudden a, an idol appears, right? Aaron makes an idol of a calf. They bow down and worship it. So verse 7 says, do not be idolaters. Verse 8 we must not indulge in sexual immorality. This is from Exodus number, or sorry, Numbers 25, where God's people commit adultery with Moabite women and are condemned. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Verse 10, we must not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the, the destroyer. What's the pattern here? It says we must not, and then it inserts a sin, because what? Because the Old Testament people, that's what they did. And what was the result? Judgment. Judgment was the result. Death. And so we don't have time to go to each of these. But I mean, but just take two of these, right? I mean, just think of it, right? Do not commit sexual immorality. The Corinthians were, were living in a culture that was sexually insane. And so Paul is saying, you as followers of Jesus ought to be a distinctive witness. You are set apart to live lives of holiness and devotion to the Lord Jesus. And that includes your sexual bodies, right? 1 Corinthians 6, we already looked at this, didn't we? And therefore, Parkview, we as God's people are to look at what happened to the Old Testament people and the severe consequences of their sin and to be rebuked and chastened into devotion to the Lord. Because we too live in a culture that is sexually insane. We don't have to go into all the details. Suffice it to say, right, one of the things that's happening in our culture, especially during uh, COVID time, is, uh, you know, it's been said, we're living in a pandemic. Also, sociologists now are saying now we are living in a pornemic. And that's just one aspect of this overall thing that the Lord is calling us as men and women to honor and to embrace his beautiful, glorious vision of sexual intimacy to be reserved between one man and one woman in covenant marriage and to buck that and to stiff arm that and to begin taking steps down a path that resists that grand vision of what the Lord designs for sexual intimacy. What God's word is saying, 1 Corinthians 2, is doing that. You are courting spiritual disaster into your life. It's like you're stabbing yourself in the leg and then jumping into shark-infested waters. That's what it is to dabble with sexual sin. Look at verse 10. Look at this other one. We must not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. You know, Numbers 11, 14, 16, right? This shows that God's people often grumbled against them because uh, there became points in their wandering in the wilderness. It became difficult. It became challenging. It wasn't what they had hoped it was to be. And what God's word is saying to us today is that we must not let difficult circumstances, disappointing circumstances, suffering, to create in us a posture of hearts towards the Lord that is bitter, that is resentful, that is angry. To do so is to begin down a path of spiritual disaster which is a good warning for us today because in the midst of a global pandemic, if we're honest, most of our lives in some form of fashion have probably increased in difficulty. And it is easy to kind of day by day, slowly, maybe imperceptively, 
start moving down towards a creating a, a heart posture of complaining, of grumbling, of things not being the, wish, the way that you wish they were. And that may seem kind of just not the big a deal. But God's confronts us at the very point and says, no, this is a big deal. And we must not let that persist. But let's not lose the forest among all the trees. Let's go back to the main point of verses 1 to 12, right? All of these Old Testament examples have the same pattern. God's people participating in idolatry and sin and doing so without any type of confession, repentance, change of life, persisting in it, and God condemns them to death because of it. And so we as God's people must listen carefully, right? This is God's word for us, Parkview. This is not some just distant first century text. This is the living word of God right now. Parkview, where are you currently at spiritually dangerous position? Where are you at right now? So let's take a few moments and just reflect on verses 1 to 12. And let's take it a couple levels deeper. Because there's some pastoral issues here that are complex. That I think need to be addressing. Number one. We need to beware of the nature of desire and idolatry. Okay? Beware of the nature of desire and idolatry. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. This is crucial for us to grasp. Notice how verse 6 does not say that we might not do evil as they did. Now, certainly Jesus is concerned with action and obedience, for sure. But what Jesus is most concerned with are actions that result from a renewed desire. Actions that result from a new direction of our longings and affections towards loyalty to him and worship of him. If you are new to Christianity or still exploring if it is true, I hope you notice the unique nature of Christianity. There is no other religion in the world that so fundamentally and comprehensively and honestly deals with the fundamental longings and desires of the human heart. And this is what we must reckon with. Our external problems in our relationships, our money problems, our broken sexuality, our bitterness at others in our lives, and even, even our external acts of goodness or, or spiritual discipline, if they are disconnected, from a heart of love for the Lord, we are in deep spiritual trouble. And we must recognize that in idolatry, good desires have been diseased by evil. Good desires are diseased by evil and idolatry. You might desire others' affection. That's a good thing, to have affectionate friendship and love. But it's often diseased into an insecure lust for approval, which results in harming relationships and severe anxiety. Some of us desire success. That's a good thing business success or family success, whatever it is. But, but it often can turn into a diseased longing for making a name for ourselves and thus causing harm to those around us. Some of us desire to be good people. I hope most of us do desire that. It's a good thing to desire, to be a good person. But oftentimes, our pursuit of morality can turn into a self-righteous judgmentalism against those who don't measure up to our status or to our standard. So it leads to an amazing point. The first thing I want us to recognize about verses 1 to 12. If the problem is the level of our desire, right? Verse 6 says we must not desire evil as they did. Well, then we're stuck because you and I don't have the ability to kind of change our desires, right? When's the last time? Okay, I'm going to try to love that person better. It doesn't work, does it? Which is good. 
because it makes us collapse into the arms of Jesus. Because only Jesus is, you know, wise enough and powerful enough to rewire the messy, hijacked, tangled desires of your human heart. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only to forgive you, Parkview, it is to renew you. It is to make you into a whole new person. Jesus' goal for your life, Jesus' plan for your life, is not for you to be a good person. Jesus doesn't care if you're a good person. That's pretty dramatic. You know what Jesus cares about? He cares about you being a new person. A new person with new longings and affections. Jesus does care about you being a good person. Don't get me wrong. You get what I'm trying to say, right? It's about newness of a heart, of love and honor to him. So check yourself. Are you truly in Christ? Is this true of you? Christianity fundamentally is not about rules or behavior or whatever it is. Certainly there, that's part of it. But the core of Christianity is a desire for the Lord, a desire to love Jesus, a desire to want to please him, a desire to want to know him, a desire to be a part of his church, a desire to serve him. Are those desires present in you? I'm not talking about perfection here. I'm talking about is there a direction in your heart to love the Lord? And if there's not, might that be a warning sign for you? Number two, reflection on the verse 12 verses here. We must embrace the reality of the horror of sin and God's judgment against it. We must embrace the reality of the horror of sin and God's judgment against it. I mean, the passage is so clear. God condemns those who persist in idolatry. This is difficult for us to embrace. This is the fundamental teaching of Scripture. And Jesus himself taught this and embraced it and loved it. And so if we are to be faithful followers of Jesus, we must revere this and receive it and teach it. But here's the point. We are faced with two options as it pertains to God's justice against idolatry. Option one is you can disregard it to your own peril, like a cancer patient who's unwilling to receive the diagnosis. You can try to live a decent life in hopes that you make it okay in the end. Or two, we can shelter ourselves under the cross of Jesus Christ, where Jesus was judged, where Jesus was condemned for our idolatry and sin. There are two people in this world. There's actually only two people in this room. There's two people online right now. Person one is someone who's taken refuge from God's judgment in Jesus because he was condemned for our idolatry. Or person two, it's those who refuse God's mercy in Jesus and will face a judgment in the end. You see, God will judge and condemn sin, Parkview Church. He will. The question is, has he done it for you already in Jesus, or will he do it for, to you in the future without Jesus? Right now is the call of the mercy of the gospel that any sinner anywhere can come and turn and receive life and freedom in Jesus Christ. Have you received Christ? Have you sheltered under his cross where he's taken your punishment and your judgment for your idolatry? Has that happened? If not, today is the day where you receive that from Christ. Will you take heed, Parkview? Reflection number three, and then we're off to our next and final point. Reflection 3 on verses 1 to 12 is this. We need to understand the nature of warnings in Scripture. The nature of warnings in Scripture. Paul, this is not the only warning passage. There's others in the New Testament. There's some in the Old Testament. Paul's not talking about here about sinning once, okay, and then God will crush you, right? So if you, you know, tomorrow, if all of a sudden you sin, it's like, okay, God will then condemn you. That's not what we're talking about here. 
What we're talking about is a direction of your life being oriented around a desire, a pursuit of idolatry without any honest steps taken of repentance or to seek renewal or help from the Lord or being in community and exposing your sin and and trying, okay, I want to just keep growing here. We're not talking about people who have an earnest longing to grow and they stumble and fall on the way. We're talking about people whose their hearts now are turning away from the Lord to actually forsake following Jesus and head in a direction of unbelief and idolatry. If you go to the doctor and he gives you this warning, right? I'm concerned about the health of your heart. Uh, you're not eating healthy, you're smoking too much, you're never exercising, you're going to probably, you're going to die at an early death. That's a warning, okay? But at that, morning, at that moment, the warning is not an automatic decree that in the next two minutes you're going to die. That warning about the reality of where you're at and your health is to provide a chance for you to change your life. It's to provide a chance for you in that moment to say, yes, doctor, you're correct, and from this point forward, I'm making changes so that I don't head towards disaster, And that's the function of warning passages in Scripture. It's given to us by Jesus so that we understand the dangerous consequences of sin and we turn and we change and we make amends. And by the help of the Lord Jesus, we head in a new direction. That's why warning passages exist. It's so that we right now can hear God speaking to us and heed his warning and change. So Parkview Church, verse 12, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. I'm concerned for some of us here in this room or some of you online who are nonchalantly kind of shoulder shrugging your way through your Christian life and you are participating in sin on a constant basis with no attempt to try to change, no attempt to confess, no attempt to kind of, because I'm a Christian, because I go to church and, you know, I, I, you know, I've been baptized and I experienced, yeah, they were baptized too. And they had a meal provided by the Lord and God still condemned them. I'm concerned for those of us here who have the cancer of idolatry ravaging your soul and you're kind of just nonchalant, don't care about it. That's what this passage is for, to wake you up like smelling salts, and to take heed lest you fall. Parkview, take heed lest you fall. Take heed lest you fall, Parkview. Jesus Christ, do you hear his voice of love warning you? Haddon, no! Do you hear the Lord Jesus speaking to you, Parkview? Jesus' heart to turn back. Take heed lest you fall. Parkview Church, none of us have to head towards spiritual disaster. None of us. Because the Lord Jesus right now is speaking to you. Take heed, turn, flee from idolatry. Flee from sin. Stop fooling around with sin. Because Christ loves you. And he's calling you back to himself. Let's look at the next point. Verse 13, we need to follow the way out. Jesus offers his hand. He is faithful you see it in verse 13. It says, No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You see, when Haddon was there in the moment about to cross the street and I raised my voice, he did not just need a warning. He needed me to come beside him, to hold his hand, and to walk him back to safety. And that's what Jesus Christ is doing for us in verse 13. 
He's coming to us. He's just warned us, and now he comes alongside us. He takes a hold of our hand. He says, let me, let me take you to safety. Let me show you a better path. Because the way to defeat sin is not primarily through threatening yourself that, oh no, spiritual danger. And that's, that, that's one way. But the primary way to resist sin, the primary way to resist temptation is by being led into something better, to being led into something more beautiful, to being led into something that's safe and in place of flourishing. And that's what the Lord Jesus does. He is faithful, Parkview, to lead you away from temptation, to provide a way out. What does this look like? Well, he's provided a way of escape, hasn't he? Through his crucifixion, bearing upon himself the guilt of your idolatry. He's provided a way of escape through his resurrection, giving you new life by faith. He's provided a way of escape by giving you his very Holy Spirit to indwell you and to turn, to give you power, to have new desires to love Jesus. He's given you a way of escape, Parkview. Every Sunday morning you come or online and you hear the word of God preached and the gospel declared and through the word of God, Jesus calls you specifically and personally to turn and keep being faithful and keep enduring, verse 13, so that you can endure to the end. That's what is happening every Sunday after Sunday. It happens in community groups. As we gather around God's word, it happens in friendships, it happens with your spouse, it happens with your doormate, as you guys have conversations about Jesus. It's happening all the time. The question is, are we listening? The question is, are we holding Jesus' hand? He's offering us a way out. Are we listening to Jesus? Are we turning to Jesus? Are we following him? So how does this, well, this is how we're going to close. How does this shape our life here at Parkview Church? Well, as Doug said, we're in a year of renewal. And in a year of renewal, one of the things that we have to, have to seek is the Lord would just purify our desires for him and for his beauty, that we would long for the right thing. Verse 6 says, right, that we would not desire what's evil. What the Lord wants to do is to turn our desires away from evil into what is good and pleasing to him. How does that happen? Well, first, this is this. We need to personally identify the danger of idolatry in our lives. Personally identify the, the danger of idolatry in your life. Online this week, there's going to be posted uh, just a few resources to help you do this. Okay? There's some questions by an author named Timothy Keller who's really helpful in this area. And there's just about, there's a, like 20 questions or so that will just kind of help you start assessing, man, where am I being tempted in my heart towards idolatry? That's the first, the first way out of, out of this is just by being honest with where you're currently at. And so take some time, grab that. And, uh, and spend some time with that. But then this leads to the second point. Okay, let's all commit to pursuing one friend here at Parkview Church. One friend here at Parkview Church who maybe with this resource that we post online, that you just kind of work this through with them or at least you have a phone call with them this week or next week. You have a sit-down conversation. You guys go grab coffee somewhere. You have them over to your apartment, whatever, social distance, all that stuff. But you just have an honest conversation about, hey, friend, where are you at in this? Where are you most tempted in your life? Do you, have, do you have, Parkview, at least one person who knows the kind of the deep pockets of temptation that happen in your life? The, the, the consistent thoughts and fantasies that go in your mind. D does anyone know about that? Just, just choose one friend, someone that you trust, someone that you love, someone that you know will love you, that can walk with you. And then not just be honest with, but then who can speak the truth of Jesus to you to begin taking steps of freedom away from idolatry. Right now in my life, it's Thomas Hoke and Doug Fern. And um, conversations on a regular basis where they know my temptations. They know my, my character flaws. They know my, my propensity towards idolatry. And, and, and we talk about these things and we pray for each other. What if we all had just one friend? Could you imagine Parkview Church growing in a year of renewal if we all just had a friend like that? 
who knew we were tempted, who'd be praying for us on a regular basis, who'd be just phone call, a th- you know, a four-minute phone call. Hey, how are you doing, man? I was just thinking about you, and I know this is a struggle for you. Doing okay here? Could you imagine the type of love and joy that we would experience with that type of friendship? And then third and finally, let's keep reminding ourselves as a church. Can we all commit to talking to each other about 73 times every day how faithful Jesus is? Let's never stop talking about Jesus and his faithfulness. You know that Jesus longs to free you, longs to free you, walk you into the fullness of joy in his presence, away from idolatry. If you're trapped in a jungle surrounded by dangerous animals and you don't know how to escape, would you rather, okay, would you rather gain? Would you rather have someone who there's with you who's just as lost, just as helpless, and just as afraid? Or would you want someone who's with you who's a guide and who's been here before, but he knows the way out? He knows the way out of this jungle, and he's going to lead you there. Jesus is the faithful guide. He came into this world of muck and mess and danger and pain and pain and, and sin-ravaging idolatry, and he endured it all, yet he never sinned. And through his death to resurrection, he knows the way out. He knows the way out, Parkview. So, Jesus is faithful. Will you heed his warning of love today? And will you follow? Will you follow Jesus as he leads you out of temptation towards idolatry. Let's pray. Father, many words spoken. Well, I pray that what is aligned with your word, that you would take it and bring it deep in our hearts, plant it deep within us, and bear fruit for the kingdom of Christ, for your glory, for the health of this church, and for the advancement of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.